You know, sometimes when we, um, when we gather together, um, it just feels like it's hard to break through in our worship, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, I, I've got to be honest with you. Can I be really honest? I can't abide passionless worship. Uh, and sometimes we have to make a choice. I'd wanted to get up for a long time this morning and do that. Say, come on, guys. You know, we get one opportunity a week to gather and really worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And these guys are doing their best job, but they need us to join in. And some of you were doing, I know, so please, if you, you know, but we want the best, don't we? We want God, we want God in the house. And, you know, we don't know what goes on in this place during the week. We don't know what's gone in here last night. We know the enemy resists us breaking into God's presence. Sometimes we've got to, you know, we've got to make a stand and resist the, the enemy. And I know some of you are probably tired as well this morning because you didn't sleep so well because we, we lost an hour uh, last night. I know all that kind of stuff goes on. But um, please hear my heart on this. My passion is for the presence of God, that we meet with him. And uh, sometimes it's just tough in church, isn't it? And we we just got to do our uttermost as individuals to, to break through into what God uh, wants for us. So, well, we're on this well-being journey, aren't we? And um, I hope you're enjoying it. I'm, I'm loving it. I love the devotional. I, I love it. I've been going around the life groups in, uh, during this uh, season. And um, it's just been great to meet with people and meet some of you for the first time. And, uh, well, we're, I don't know what week number we're on now. Is it five or something like that? Four? Five, something like that. We've done physical well-being, emotional well-being, uh, spiritual well-being. My job this morning is relational well-being, and then uh, and then Dave's doing financial well-being next week. And Charlie, wherever he is at the, at the back there, is doing vocational uh, well-being. So it's been a good opportunity as well to uh, to to give some of our guys the opportunity to uh, preach some of them for the first time. And Haifa did a great job last week, didn't she? And uh, so. Um, I've got to follow that somehow. Well, and anyway, we're on to uh, we're on to uh, well-being, and uh, we'll put the next PowerPoint up. I, I just wanted to um, start with this and just draw us back to where we started, really, where we're just thinking about what well-being is. And you've probably heard this a few times before. And there, there, there isn't actually a, a biblical word for well-being. The closest is this word uh, shalom, which we always think of as peace, but it, it's much richer word than that. It encompasses wholeness, health and harmony. And this is a bit I wanted to really focus on, that shalom means taking joy in being rightly related to God, to others, to oneself and to the created world. Amazing. So today we're going to, we're going to focus on relational well-being. Now, a funny thing happened to me on, on Friday afternoon. I was doing some prep on my message, and um, and I was sort of and I was struggling a little bit with it. And uh, sometimes, it, you know, it's just like that. Sometimes your prep's amazing, and it just flows, and you you just go there. And I, I was struggling a little bit with it, and I just thought, right, I'm going to put my iPad down a bit like Mark. Really, I'm just going to do what you should do, really, and pray and stop and and pray. And I stopped and pray, and 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 um, I'm just saying to Father, um, just just Father, will you will you help me to communicate this 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 message of relational hell being hell being I'm like what 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 did I just pray relational hell being and uh, it's obviously a slip of the tongue but um, I guess you know just I was thinking about it at the moment at that moment I thought to myself well maybe the people in our church who are going through relational hell being at the moment maybe some of you are right now and uh, I hope this sort of, this talk this morning um, will help you to, to, 
to experience relational well-being rather than hell-being. And uh, relational discord will negatively impact every other area of our lives. That hell-being, it affects everything. But relational harmony will increase our overall sense of well-being. So relational well-being. We were created for relationships. From the very beginning of time, we were created for a relationship with God and, and secondarily with people. And the creation story backs this up because, you know, God was, went through that whole list of everything that was good. And then he said, it's not good for man to be alone. We need people around us, don't we? We need relationships with other people. We were created for relationships. A study by the Californian um, Department of Health, uh, of Mental Health. Um, I put health mental there, haven't I? These are check my, my, of health mental, of mental health. Um, discovered this, two, two to three times more, you're two to three times more likely to die an early death if you haven't got this, this, this connection with people. Four times more likely to suffer from emotional burnout. Five times more likely to suffer clinical depression and 10 times more likely to be hospitalized for an emotional or mental disorder by just not having people in your life, by not having relationships. And, you know, one of the things we've been looking at throughout this series is we is sort of bobbed in and out of it is Elijah's life, haven't we? And, you know, Elijah struggled when he dismissed his servant. I don't know if you noticed that as we've been uh, reading through it. Put the verse up. So Elijah, Elijah's life's been threatened and he's on the run. He takes his servant with him and then he left his servant at Beersheba. And he started to struggle, didn't he? And he got himself into this pit, into this pity party where he, he no longer wants to live uh, any longer. And of course, later God provided Elisha for him. But the point is this, we need people. We, we need friends. We need connection with others, the right types of connection. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. One of the things about our Western world right now is that there is a loneliness epidemic going on, isn't there? People are are just lonely. They're, they're looking for relationship. They're looking to be loved and accepted and, and cared for and known by others. And you know, I want to encourage you as a, as a congregation, don't be afraid to invite people to church or life group. They're looking for that. Just um, listening to um, uh, Sylvia in the life group, I went to Helen's life group this week. She was saying about some of the people she'd invited to church and, and how they'd been transformed by just coming into the presence of God. And, you know, there is this loneliness thing going on. People are looking for relationship. Well, we're better than in the family of God. Well, one of the things that just to help us with this relational well-being is a guy called Henry Cloud, who I'm sure people will be familiar with. He's, he's put together this four corners of um, connection, which I hope will help us to, to just understand the, the different types of 
relationships that we become involved with. And um, Henry Cloud describes us as, as being like mobile phones who are, who, are, who are, you know, trying to search for a connection anywhere. If you've, you've ever been out in the fields or whatever or on holiday in some remote place, you, you're sort of holding your phone apart. You're sort of trying to, trying to get a connection somewhere. And, and Henry Cloud says that we're like that. We, we have this inbuilt um, desire to connect with other human beings. And he says that in practice, we, we usually end up in one of these four corners of connection. I hope this will help some of you identify the sort of relationships you're in um, this morning. The first three, I have to say, the, uh, 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 negative um, connections. So going with the first one, he says the place of no connection. He describes this as, as when either through circumstance or through choice, we fail to be emotionally and functionally invested in other people in a give and receive dynamic. This corner is the one of being surrounded by people but still basically being on our own. I think it's something that leaders experience uh, uh, quite often. You're surrounded by people, but have that sense of being on your own. There's an absence of, of needs being met, of real enhancement or fueling from others, for, of connectedness that drives you to doing well and feeling uh, better and being better. Ultimately, with this first one, with this no connection, you, you feel like you're by yourself that everything depends on you, that, that even with others around you or, or even a team around you, you're on your own. You're alone, but with others. It's the corner of unmet needs. And the second one, this is the one of bad connection. This is not necessarily um, a connection with a bad or abusive person, but, but it can be that. Instead, it's a, it's a connection, it's a preoccupation or a, a pull towards someone who has the effect of making you feel bad or inferior or never good enough or, or no matter whatever, whatever you do, it's not good enough for them. This connection is obviously demotivating and de-energizing and debilitating and it can be a painful one as well. I'm sure some of us are in those relationships where people do that to us. Here's the thing, we said it earlier in the prayer which I wasn't planning. Our security needs to be in God. Some of us are in those relationships because our security isn't in God. We need to perhaps let go of those relationships and put our security in Father. Maybe we're relying on that person. We put up with so much because they provide this for us. Third is the place of, of um, fake, um, the fake connection. Oh, that's the wrong way around. My PA did this, right. I'm going to have words with her tomorrow morning. <laughs> I can, do, I can do PowerPoint, but I can't do all these little fancy boxes and things. So I sent this to her, right? I'll be having words. She's not getting paid this month. Um, the third one is fake. Um, this connection can, um, it's almost like seductive. It, it can make us feel good temporarily in, in some kind of way. It's, it's, it's a relationship where um, we enjoy the approval or the adulation of someone or, the, or they flatter us. Um, we feel like we can, we can do no wrong when with them. It's like, almost like a sugar high that's sort of uh, momentary, you know, but it's great until you need um, it again. But it never really nourishes us. And, and there's no challenge for us to improve in that um, relationship, in the, in the fake connection. And then finally, there's the, the true connection. And, and this is the one that we really want to see. This is a place of a truly valuable and value-adding relationships 
where we can really be ourselves. We can be vulnerable if we want to. We can be the, the authentic uh, you. We can, we can share with our heart and mind and soul and passion. And, and both parties in the relationship are, are like that. We can say what we truly think, what we feel, what we believe, what we fear, what, we, what our needs are. It's a real connection honesty and authenticity and place where we can be accepted and challenged and I think when we look at the Bible we see probably probably the best example of this is David and Jonathan wasn't it they they were more than just brothers-in-law they were deep and abiding friends those are the type of connections that we need aren't they those true connections and uh, maybe you know during this week maybe reflect on these four quadrants and Maybe just, you know, have a think about that. Because, you know, our thought today is about relational well-being. And we're, we're going to talk about our own well-being in terms of relationships, but also um, our relationships with other people. And perhaps this bit is more for us to consider. Those relationships we have, are they doing you good? Are they true connections? Maybe you need to make some adjustments in some of those uh, areas. Now, Jesus... Um, connected with people, didn't he? He had circles of um, connection and he connected with people on different levels, um, but he had different relationship circles. I'm going to put those up on screen. So the first one is the, the obvious one is, is the three with Peter, James and John. It's a close-knit inner core um, of the disciples. And the interesting thing is that significantly, Jesus shared his high moments and his low moments with them. He shared the transfiguration with them, but then they were with him in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was feeling utterly overwhelmed by what was ahead of him. We could add to this as well that with regards to the three that there was also the family of, of Lazarus and, and Martha and Mary who was very close to as well. There's the 12 disciples who of course included Peter, James and John. And of course he called them to his side. He called them to follow him. He called them to, um, to learn and grow in, in their relationship with God. But he also called them to continue his work going forward. But here's the interesting thing. In Mark 3.14, he, he, he called them that they might be with him. Just simply be with him. Relationship, connection, adept to it. There's the 72 the wider group of leaders who Jesus involved in his ministry. And then there's the crowds, those Jesus uh, ministered to through preaching, teaching and healing. So when we think about relational well-being, when we think about relationships, it's important to go back to the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt, isn't, there's no doubt at all that the, the cross of Jesus Christ, the most recognised symbol in Christianity. It's everywhere, isn't it? Not just around your neck, but, but on churches and uh, war memorials and even buildings have been uh, built in the shape of the cross at hospitals and, and everywhere else. It symbolises what Jesus endured for us, that he paid his price, uh, paid the price on the, on the cross and that he's our hope for salvation. And there's so much meaning wrapped up in, in the cross, in this symbol of faith. And you know, the cross of Jesus just reminds us about relationships, really. It's no coincidence that it, there's, there's, a, there's sort of a vertical beam and a, a horizontal beam. And of course, the vertical beam is all about our relationship with Jesus. 
symbolize our relationship with God that Jesus made. And the horizontal one represents our relationship with others. You need both to form a cross. I would say you need both to be a Christian. You need that relationship with God, but also that important horizontal one, that relationship with other people. And that's where the local church comes into play. See, the church is a community and it's a family. And Jesus didn't just model the need for community. He created a community. He created the church. Now, we don't all have the privilege of belonging to a, a close, healthy and a, a nuclear family. However, we have the church. We have the church. Some of you are, are living away from, from family, loved ones, making that sacrifice. So, but we have the family, don't we? We have the, the local family. Or maybe you haven't got close family right now. We have the church. And I want to say it again. The church is not the building. It's not a building. It's not where we meet on a, a Sunday. It's not primarily, primarily an organisation. It's the family of God. The family of God. It's often described as the body of Christ. It was central to God's eternal master plan. Not just to meet our needs, but to meet the needs of the whole world. I think it was Bill Hybels who said that the, the, the local church is the hope of the world. It's the hope of the world. And if we're to flourish and grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, then we need to be part of the local church. I love this verse in, in Psalm 92. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. This is where you flourish as part of the church. And of course, church is not just Sunday. We have life groups and, and other stuff going on. It's where two or three are gathered in his name. This is where we flourish. I've mentioned D.I. Packer before, uh, J.I. Packer before, and um, I love this quote from This is a longer version, a quote that I often quote. And um, he just died, uh, I think, during, uh, earlier this year or last year, um, a great theologian. Uh, and he said this, I go around telling people that if they're not with the whole congregation on Sunday and in the small group during the week, their Christian lives are unbalanced. We should not think of our fellowship with other Christians as a spiritual luxury, an optional addition to the exercises of private devotions. Fellowship is one of the great words of the New Testament. It denotes something that is vital to a Christian's spiritual health. I put that in capitals. It denotes something that is vital, that is to the Christian's spiritual health and central to the church's true life. The church will flourish and Christians will be strong only when there is fellowship. And fellowship, by the way, is more than food after the service. We often think of fellowship like that, you know, the tea or coffee or cakes or whatever it is, but it's far more than that. It's, that, it's a koinonia, it's the Greek word for it, which is talking about communion. There's a depth of relationship, of being with one another, sharing with one another. So it's more than food. And by the way, if you've not brought food this morning, we've got plenty of food. We'll be fine this morning. And if we haven't, we'll pray over it. And uh, everyone is welcome to stay for food. We'd love you to do that. And it's a great way of getting to know people. So God has provided the, his family, the family of God, the church and the individuals within it for your spiritual and emotional and relational well-being. He set it all up for us. So let's be sure that we, that we love the church as Jesus Christ did, that we love the church with all its imperfections, with all its um, 
you know, mistakes and errors and, you know, all our subjective likes and uh, dislikes. Let's love the church. Let's commit to being part of a local church family. Let's make a choice in our hearts that it, it must be more than just a, um, an option on a Sunday or an option midweek, but actually we're committed to the local church, whatever um, that looks like for us. And one of the things I found with church life is that we get out what we put in. And we don't put very much in. We don't, we don't draw out very much. I want to encourage you again, as I've said many times, to commit to the local church. Come even when you don't feel like it. I think it's really important to say that. There's a great testimony in the book about that, in the devotions this week, about coming when you uh, don't feel like it. I'll read it in a moment, but this is so important to us. This guy says this, whenever I've started feeling spiritually or emotionally low or felt tempted to miss a service or a midweek gathering, I would try to push through anyway and would always come away from those meetings strengthened as time and again the Lord met me in a special way. That's so true. Is that your experience? How many of us on a Sunday or, or when life boots about to start on a Wednesday night or, or whatever it is, we, maybe we just, oh, I can't be bothered or just tired or I've had a busy day or the kids have been creating or, or whatever it is. And the, the enemy will try to stop us going. Maybe cause us to be apathetic or lethargic and, oh, well, it doesn't matter if I miss this week or, or maybe you're feeling a bit down or depressed. That must, how many times that must happen to Christians on a Sunday morning? I, I cannot imagine. It's the enemy attacking us and we must press through that. Now, how many times have you been when you've not felt like it and been so blessed, so blessed by God, so blessed by something somebody said to you or a testimony or just somebody praying with you? We must just press through at that time. So, you know, if we, if we stop being with people, stop being with God's people, stop attending church regularly, the fire will soon go out. And here's one of the things that I've experienced over the years. I've seen it so many times as a pastor in the four churches I've led that, that, you know, once, and it often happens in August. August is a danger month. When people are on holiday for a couple of, they're away for a couple of Sundays on holiday or something, or and they go out for the day or something, before long those that one Sunday's ab absence becomes four or five Sundays. And then this is what happens. They feel embarrassed to come back because people will say, where have you been? Oh, we've missed you or whatever. And people are just being kind and nice to see you and that sort of thing. There's a real danger to that. But the problem is uh, the, more we, the less time we spend with God's people, the more the fire goes out, the passion in our hearts. And of course, that's what the enemy wants to do. Going back to the connections, it's, it's easy for us to, to come on a Sunday and, and make no connection at all. It's so easy to do that. Let's not be people who do that, who arrive late, walk the walk of shame. <laughs> As some of you did this morning. Some of you know where the back door is now and come in through the, um, through the back. And then leave straight away and make no real connection with anybody let's not be people who do that and then the final thing I really want to say about about church this community this family that God has created is this is encouragement again join a life group uh, you know one of the things that's 
encouraged me so much in recent weeks is as we started this new series, I think we've had at least a dozen people aware of join life groups. Let me tell you, life groups is really, to me, where church happens. I love Sundays. I love the big celebrations. I love, you know, that we get people preaching and all that kind of thing. We come together as a whole family. But where church really happens is in the life groups. Why are life groups important? Because they're a place to really connect with people, to discover a family for yourself, to make friends, to form those deep relationships, those true connection relationships we're talking about, to be vulnerable, to care for other people, to be cared for at times as well, to be challenged, to be challenged about our faith, to learn, to grow, to use your gifts and abilities to take steps of faith. So can I encourage you this morning, commit to the life groups. Join a life group if you haven't already. Talk to Rose on the front row there, on the second row there. Treat them as close family. Family, relationships. Make it a priority of your week. I talk to life group leaders and and let me tell you, some of them, they they feel discouraged at times because people drop out at the last second. It's not their... They've got other options that day or whatever, or that evening. Let's make it a priority to commit to it. To not just only go when there's, there's nothing else better to do, but to commit to that family within the church family. To be family, to build relationships in your life group. To honour those who attend with your commitments and time. Don't, don't bail out at the last minute. Be committed to it. To care, to be family in between the life group meetings, to play an active role. This is something that that leaders say to me every now and then. I can't get anybody to lead the meeting. I can't get anybody to take the study. Play an active role. Take a step of faith. Use your gifts. Discover new ones. Play your part in your life group, please. Guys, come on. Some of you should be leading studies by now. Some of you should be just leading meetings, especially with this series. It's so easy to just play the video and ask a few questions. They're on a sheet already. But let's play our part. Come on, guys. Some of you should be, some of you should be leaders by now. Not just taking there and, and feeding it in all the time. should be leaders by now, some of you in these groups. And then the final thing on life groups is this. Take cakes. <laughs> Bake cakes. Take cakes. We had some lovely flapjack at, um, at Helen's group this week. But, but take some cakes. Guys, be a blessing to your group leader or the host or whoever it is. Take some cakes. Bless them. Bless the group. Practice hospitality. Right, maintaining healthy relationships. I need to move on quickly. I just want to say a few uh, things about this before we close. <clears throat> not all relationships are or should be on the same level. I'm not sure we always get that. We have a friend, a pastor's wife actually, a lovely lady, precious lady, but she treats everyone like they're a member of a close family. And let me tell you, she has hundreds of friends, if not thousands of friends. So every time we go out for a meal together as two couples, her phone, whenever we're at her house, her phone is pinging all the time from people who are close and people who are far, from people who wanted to drop everything in a moment. Can you imagine what her life is like? She's on call to everyone. Almost like, it feels like everyone in the world. I don't know how many times Julia and I have told her, you've got to stop this. 
There are different circles of relationship. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you just need to address this and, and, and you know, recognise, identify who are in your close circle. Who are you on call to and who you're not on call to. It's okay to do that. Because if there are no boundaries, we're, we're just setting ourselves up for a fall. We're just accessible to everyone all the time. So that's the first thing to say. Not all relationships are or should be on the same level. And maybe that will help some of you as you reflect on this this week with your relational well-being, that you're there for the right people, the people you should be there for, but not available for everyone. And then we're going to put this on screen. I was chatting to Haifa about this on Friday and I, I didn't know whether to put this up or not because I thought I'd run out of time and I am doing, but this is actually on, thir- pay, on day 32 of your devotional. But I wanted to put it up there because just to make you think a little bit, aware also that not all of you are in life groups, so you won't see this and not all of you have the devotional, but th- this, um, this guy, uh, John Townsend, um, suggests that in order to be relationally healthy, we need to identify the different categories of relationships. And I've, I've yeah, managed to fit it on the screen somehow. Um, there are different categories, seven different categories. The coaches in our lives, the comrades, especially if you like the Labour Party, comrades, casuals, colleagues, people we care for, chronics and um, contaminants. The different categories of relationship and he suggests we probably need more of the first three uh, groups the coaches the comrades and the casuals for healthy well-being and success and and he also mentioned that some of us will will feel burdened by the amount of time we spend giving to individuals and chronics and contaminants the amount of time that we give caring for people which of course is a it's a good thing to do and, and that those things can lead to exhaustion and lack of energy and problems in priority and clarity and lack of effectiveness. So, so I'm just throwing it out there. Have a think about this. Perhaps time to review your relationships. If you've got the devotional, day 32 deals with it. Okay, so moving on quickly. Some, some relate, maintaining health, uh, healthy relationships. Love one another. If you want to maintain a healthy relationship with other people, you need to love them. How's your love life? How's your love life? How is your love for other people? How's your love for the people closest to you? Your husband, your wife, your your family, your kids. How's your love for that difficult person at work? Perhaps you need the love tank filled up. Perhaps you need to say to God this morning, fill me with your love again. Help me with that difficult person that awkward relative. Number four, don't try and change other people. I think that's the biggest mistake you can make in a marriage. Julia's been trying to change me for years. But one, this is one of the things I had to learn, you know, um, in my early years as a pastor and in our early years of marriage was that the only person I'm responsible for is changing me and as we start to with God's help change ourselves and actually what you see is the people around you will change think about that in your family think about that on the front lines in your workplace with that difficult person at Costa when we change we, we show grace to another person they change 
You know, the Bible talks about um, getting rid and putting on some stuff. And I just put these verses up just briefly, but I love these verses of Scripture and they identify the, the sin in our lives at times. And, you know, Paul talks about, you know, putting off, getting rid and then clothing yourselves with, with other things. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive, think about that person at work. Bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since of members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Just leave that up on screen for a moment. What is, what is you know, maybe God say something to you this morning about some change going on, about addressing maybe one thing that's your Achilles heel, right? Maybe lose your temper quickly. Maybe need some of that peace. I don't know what it is, but what's God saying to you this morning about this? And we just put the next one up as well. And this Ephesians one, which is a, I've sort of amalgamated a few verses there. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. There it is again. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's something for married couples, isn't it? That used to happen to us all the time when we were first married. It's always Julia's fault. Um, I, I forgave her and she wouldn't forgive me. And um, because I had to get up early in the morning, I couldn't wait any longer for her to give, forgive me. And so I just decided I'm going to sleep then. Um, and uh, this is true, isn't it? And uh, then she'd wake up in the morning in a bad mood because I'd gone to sleep and um, we hadn't put things right in the fallout we'd had. Or well, what was I supposed to do? I'd get up at 20 past four. I couldn't wait any longer going towards midnight. I needed some sleep. And I thought I'd done my bit. Now, maybe I did it a bit casually and maybe I did it because I wanted to go to sleep. Um, but, but the rule is don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. We really need to be careful about these things, don't we? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of, and there's a list of sins here, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling. I'm not sure many of our people in here are going to be brawling, but slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as Christ forgave you. Everything changes when we work on ourselves with God's help. Maybe one thing from that list has just challenged you this morning. You're going to go away and say, God, I need some help with this. Number five, forgive. Mentioned it earlier in, in, in that great testimony. Forgive, forgive, forgive. We have to forgive people. Trust me, I've been there over the years as a pastor. People have done some bad stuff to us as a couple, to our children. We've experienced some pretty horrific stuff at times. And I couldn't stand here in a pulpit in a church unless I'd been able to forgive people. And it takes a while sometimes, but you have to make a choice in your head to forgive and after a while, of, uh, my tip to people all the time is if you've gone through some bad stuff with people is 
make that decision, speak it out loud, I forgive and name the person, not necessarily publicly. And every time you think of that person, have a flashback, you forgive, I forgive, I forgive. And then eventually you suddenly realise, oh, it's gone to my heart, I feel okay about that person. If you don't forgive, it will impact every area of your well-being, including possibly your health. We must forgive. So I want to ask you again, I've done it loads of times, is there anyone you need to forgive? Anyone you need to forgive? Forgive them. You don't necessarily even have to go and speak to them, just forgive them, unless you feel that's right. And then number six, be reconciled. Be reconciled. Is there anybody you need to be reconciled to? Anybody you're still not speaking to after all these years? Be reconciled. Your heart will never be at peace until you're reconciled. We were listening to a guy, Gordon um, Hickson. Um, pastors had a, a Zoom meeting, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And he said this, and I've never forgotten it. He said this, I've chosen reconciliation over being right. That is so powerful. I've chosen reconciliation over being right. Let me tell you how much that has helped me in the last couple of years since he said that. With stuff going on in my family, stuff with siblings, where they've been completely out of order, where it's made me so angry. But I chose reconciliation over being right. And who knows, I might have been wrong. Maybe I'm arrogant saying I was right. But I want you to really remember that reconciliation every time over being right. And then the final one, I think this is the final one, put others first. Put others first. Last Sunday, it was Mother's Day. Last Sunday, there were a couple of FA Cup games in the afternoon. Julia had been telling me all week that she's not my mother. But last Sunday, when we got home from church, I gave her the remote controller. Did you take it? You're spoiling my story now. Well, one way or the other, the remote controller passed between the two of us. Because you've got to put others first, haven't you? But she gave it me back, actually, about an hour later, because she didn't know what to do with it. I think she was, I think she was so out of experience of using the thing in the first place. She says, to, she says to me, how come is it when you go out to a meeting in the evening, and you come in at nine, half nine, whatever it is, that you go and sit in the armchair? And she said, magically mysteriously the, the the remote controller seems to move from the arm of my chair to the arm of your chair i still don't know how it happens i have no idea how it happens i put a couple of readings up and then we'll close but put others first and you know can you be quiet please i'm preaching <laughs> you're definitely not having the remote controller today definitely this is a bit i want to highlight at the end in humility julia value <laughs> others above yourselves not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others. And then the next one, finally, I love this in the message. Love from the centre of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. And I love this. Practice playing second fiddle. So I want to encourage you today. Relational well-being. I'll give you the verse later. 
emotional, very distracting. She, maybe she's taking a picture of me, I don't know. Maybe she just wants a better picture of me. Um, relational well-being, I've talked for too long, gone on way longer than I normally do. But, um, you know, what, what's God saying to you? Let's put this last one up. What do you need to address this week in order, and there's two things here, to improve your personal relational well-being and your relationships as well. You know, at home, on the front lines, at work, in college, in, in the club, in the, in the shop, what do you need to do? As you reflect prayerfully on those connections that you have, those categories, do you need to make some adjustments this week to those relationships? Or do you need to change you? You know, your attitude. Do you need to forgive people? Do you need to be reconciled? Do you need to show more grace to people? Put people first. Love the unlovely. Well, apologies for going on a little bit longer, but let's stand, shall we, and get the band back.